Welcome to Engage 360, Denver Seminary's podcast. Join us as we explore the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truth of scripture at work in our culture today. Well, welcome again to Engage 360. I'm Don Payne, your host, and really glad you have joined us for another, what I think is going to be a great and interesting interview. Here's one of the most fun and gratifying aspects of this co- of this podcast for all of us, that is bringing onto your field of vision really remarkable, interesting, creative, and courageous people who will inspire you with how they engage the needs of the world with the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truth of Scripture. And we try to introduce you to as wide an array of people as we can not limited to our faculty and graduates, but especially those individuals. And the fun is sharing them with you so that your life and ministry can be stretched and enriched by them, as have the lives of those who already know them. And that's intensely the case with this week's guest, who is both one of our MDiv graduates from 2003 and a current member of our board of trustees. So we're both very proud of her and deeply grateful to her for her board service. So if you don't know the name Tracy Bianchi, you need to, and you will. Uh, Tracy Bianchi is a a writer, a speaker, a pastor, lives in the Chicago area. Tracy, welcome to Engage 360. Hey, Don. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me today. Tracy has uh, written in a wide variety of places her uh, her writings have appeared in Mops International, Sojourners. Uh, she has uh, written or spoken on Moody Radio, Washington Post, The Huffington Post. Only cool people write for The Huffington Post. I know this. Uh, Today's Christian Woman and quite a number of other places. She was named as one of Christianity Today's 50 Women to Watch, those who are most shaping the church and culture. This was in 2012. Uh, has written a variety of books. Her first book, released in 2010 by Zondervan, was called Green Mama, The Guilt-Free Guide, and she's smirking at me across the table as I say that, The Guilt-Free Guide to Helping You and Your Kids Save the Planet. She has also written Mom Connection, Creating Vibrant Relationships in the Midst of Motherhood. Uh, True You, Overcoming Self-Doubt and Using Your Voice uh, with Adele Calhoun, and then also with Adele Calhoun, Women and Identity. So as we go, I want to talk about some of those books, but welcome again, Tracy, and um, tell us a little bit more about your journey. Yeah, it has has been a journey of... um excitement and um, adventure and also lots of um, unknown twists and turns, you might say. I cannot remember sitting down ever and saying, uh, Lord, one day, please make me a pastor or an author. (laughs) Neither of those were on the radar of what I ever thought that um, God would call me to do with my life. So finding myself, um, you know, 16, 17 years now into both angles of this profession has been um, a fascinating journey and one that I'm grateful for, but um, always still feel like I'm trying to figure out, Lord, what is it exactly that you are doing with with my life? Yeah. <laughs> what brought you to Denver Seminary in the first place, and what did you think you would be doing when you came here? 
skiing mostly. Oh, so. well, I mean, or, or after you <laughs> left here. Um, you know, I did not grow up in a Christian home. Um, wonderful parents uh, love me, raised my sister and I up well, but um, I did not have any faith formation um, in my life until um, young life when I was in high school. I had never gone to a Bible college. I'd never taken a, a class in theology, new to nothing like that, and found myself, despite all of that, on staff at um, my church serving our students in youth ministry. And uh, one of my colleagues at the time said, he walked into my office and I was reading Gordon Fee's commentary on 1 Corinthians to teach a Sunday school class. And he said, they give degrees. <laughs> for people who read those who, books who and you should like go that. get one. And then, you know, studied and researched seminaries and Denver Seminary just looked like the place that um, we wanted to be. It's a great, great seminary. I'm so glad you came. I might mention, I, I missed this in the intro, but Tracy has uh, a website where you can connect with her. It's tracybianchi.com and Spell that out for everybody. Yeah, uh, my name has an E in it, so T-R-A-C-E-Y-B-I-A-N-C-H-I.com. So that's where I exist electronically these days. And cool pictures on there. <laughs> I mean, if anybody, I was looking at your website the other day, and if anybody can make putting on shoes look cool, you, you've done that. <laughs> uh, tell us a little bit more about the different aspects of your ministry and how you came to be involved in... Yes, you know, it's interesting. I have had a robust uh, journey in um, many ways, a lot of it happening in the same church. Um, I served, um, when I came out of um, seminary, uh, my husband and I moved back to Chicago, and I was serving as the high school director, um, went back into student ministry, and then um, realized that uh, we have three children, and I was sort of trying to raise up my own student ministry at home <laughs> with all of our kids. And it was getting harder and harder for that journey. So I moved into uh, uh, women's ministry and did that for a while. And then um, most recently spent the last decade um, as our worship and teaching pastor. So um, planning um, our worship services, working with our creative artists, our musicians, planning weekend liturgies, and then um, helping shepherd our communicators and then joining our senior pastor as um, the teaching pastor. So I've recently just took the worship planning hat off and um, am sticking right now with just serving in the pulpit and as a member of the preaching and teaching team. Okay. So it's been an exhausting. <laughs> yeah, exhaustive and exhausting. Yes, and along with all that, you know, all of those positions are pastoral positions. So it's not just let's plan the weekend service, but along the way, you know, you're with families in crisis and you're doing weddings and funerals and pastoral counseling. and Yeah spiritual formation, all the stuff that really, you know, makes well, you're pastor. a pastor, you're being, you know? Yeah, you're doing yeah. what pastors yeah. do. Yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, so it's been about 16 years um, since I left seminary that I've been mm. doing that. I'm curious, what are some of the big ticket learnings about ministry that you've had over the years? That's a great question. You know, one of the, one of the big ticket learnings, I think, for me partially has been that just when I think I have some angle of culture or of how people operate figured out it has changed so rapidly in the time of history that we're in in the 16 years that I've been serving which is not a long time given you know how long some other people serve but um you know social media the iPhone um multi-campus churches 
and live stream have all become <laughs> something that, you know, we, we look at and, and, and deal with. So how you deliver spiritual formation and pastoral care has changed so significantly in just the past decade alone. So every time I think I have something figured out on where people are at or what speaks to them in their life or where they find God, it seems to it seems to shift and evolve because I think we're at such a fluid time in in American yeah. history. Yeah. So North American history. Yeah. I don't know anybody who learns or any organization that learns anything of significance without making missteps and you know, shooting up trial balloons and having them fail along the way. How has that process been for you and your colleagues at Oak, at uh, Christ Church? Yeah. What, what, I mean, how have you tried and experimented along the way in order to address those needs you've described and in order to, f- to find some things that actually do work? Yeah. You know, it, it has been a lot of, of, of trial and error. You know, you sit in a room with a bunch of ministry leaders and wonder together about what everybody outside of that room <laughs> might think works. And then, of course, you take your ideas to the congregation and you pray about them and, and, and lean into wherever you feel like God is leading you. But, you know, we, um, we made the shift to move to um, a multi-site uh, model uh, just a couple years ago, and that was a, a pretty audacious goal for us to try to figure out: can we deliver? Yeah, that's a huge thing. You know, it was huge, and um, you know, it was not without its moments of of grit and of learning and of wondering: did we do the right thing? You know, and that has been a blessed experience for us. You know, people have come to know the Lord. We've been in a neighborhood that, you know, we're with some people that maybe wouldn't have been with us at our quote unquote, you know, what at the time was called our main campus. So. Um, that and then you know, for me as a person who's planned liturgy and worship, um, you know, just the changing nature of music and um, and how do you stay true to um, the ancient history of the church while at the same time, you know, doing things in a in a mm. in a way that uh, connect with modern generations, and so that's been interesting too. Yeah, one of your books, Tracy, talks about finding your own voice. What's that been like for you to find your own voice in ministry? You know, um, I think it is hard for women to to find their voices and to trust their voices. Um, and I had an interesting experience with being female and, and being a ministry leader in a church because my first point of contact and leadership in a church was at a church that that fully vetted and invested in women. And because I did not grow up in a, um, a Christian home that had any view on women, and um, because my first entree into ministry was at a church where women were fully affirmed in their leadership, it was very interesting because it wasn't until I started to go for, um, for theological training, actually not here, I took classes at another, another institution, where a student leaned over and said to me, you know you're not supposed to be here, right? Really? Yes. And again, to be clear, that wasn't, it was not Denver, but... And I didn't know that that was a thing. It was interesting Uh. because I didn't know until I was already in ministry that there was a whole world of conversation about whether or not I should be there. It's got to be a funny feeling to get in the door and then realize, wait a second, did somebody let me in by mistake? Right, you know, so I had this whole, like, I thought I was supposed to be here and I felt called to this and I, I had people praying for me and... And so that is part of actually eventually what led me to Denver Seminary because I was looking for 
a, a seminary that, that would invite women to, to study alongside men. And so, uh, you know, finding your voice, and that was interesting because I thought I had it, and then suddenly I thought maybe I don't have a voice here. And then you have to kind of rediscover it and rebuild yourself and remind yourself that, you know, um, you know, God has given um, me agency and purpose and meaning, and I, I have something that I can teach, not just so people listen to me, but because I think that I'm saying something that could be helpful to somebody else about our Lord. And I, that's just a, a great feeling, but it yeah. takes women a while to remember they have that voice. And um, So you're doing a lot of preaching and teaching these days. Yes, yeah. Uh, what, what, is, what is your voice <laughs> a, as a preacher and teacher? I can't ask yeah. the question. I wish I could ask it more clearly. No, than that, I, I, you know, every every communicator has an angle, I guess, at right. which they come at faith. I mean, ultimately, what we all hope, I know, is that the voice of the Lord is what people leave with. Yeah. But that voice comes through our our human bodies and our our experiences in our contexts. And so, my current context is that um, I am a I am a suburban soccer mom (laughs) Uh. right now with three teenagers and so um and a a wonderful husband and so my my conversation with our congregation is rooted in that experience and it's rooted in some of the of course as all of us some of the the chaos or traumas we've had in our lives and experiences the hard and the good so of course I bring that to it too but you know the off the cuff have you ever thought about this question that comes up in a sermon comes out of the carpool or the mouth of my children or <laughs> yeah which is interesting because you don't always get that and so um, I'm able to I think communicate with our congregation in a way that our senior pastor isn't not better or worse just because he's a uh, you know in a different stage of life he's a guy you know and we have a diverse um, preaching team at our church for that reason because we want people to hear from different voices and faces. yeah so. yeah well it reminds me of that famous statement by the early ninth, uh, early twentieth century preacher Phillips Brooks, who said that preaching is truth through personality. Exactly, exactly. Hmm. And so, when you have these sort of monochromatic, monotone, singular voices in a pulpit, you're really only getting that experience through one yeah. voice. And it's interesting because, you know, understandably, a senior pastor does you know occupy the bulk of the pulpit time as it should be. But increasingly, we live in a culture that has such a multiplicity of voices, you know, blogs and, you know, Twitter, whatever, you know, social media. I mean, we listen to so many different voices. It's rare that you find yourself all of a sudden tuning into just one person's experience week after week. All the time. Right. It's a gift, I think, to have to uh, these congregations now that have multiple communicators on teaching teams, I think, are a great gift to our time. I'm glad you get to be a part of that. Me too. I feel super blessed. I'm I'm thrilled. The... Uh, church is a is a wonderful life giving place, and so I feel really really grateful to be on that teaching team. That yeah. is so good to hear people talk about their experience on a pastoral staff as wonderful and life giving. Yeah. yeah, that's not the norm. No, but, no, but I'm no. I mean, it is. It has come it. with its exhaustion for sure, and I mean that's part of some of the transitions that I've made in my leadership. You know, and when I was with student ministry, I I reached a point of exhaustion. You know, and I needed to step back, and um, and even the worship leadership hat. You know that I, I I reached a level of kind of just exhaustion and wonder over over that. I couldn't ache over that experience anymore. So you know, shifting into other things. Um, but you know, I mean, then people break your 
break your heart too. Sure. Just the lives that um, we live and the tragedies that that come. That never. That, that that's exhausting. It's always, always and that's always, always part but, of it. But to get to right. be in a place that you know in your heart is making a difference and to get to see that difference played out mm. in the lives of the people that you pastor is, is a gift. Yeah, you can go a long way on a little bit of that. Yeah, yeah, and coffee too. <laughs> <laughs> right. Tell us about your writing. What got you started as a writer? You know, uh, they, they, whoever they are, right, the mysterious Those people they, who say those things. Those people out there who say things yeah. say that there are two sorts of, um, there are writers who become speakers and there are speakers who become writers. And so I um, entered into writing because I, I had done some speaking and had been invited then to um, kind of write about some of the things that I had said, which was a great invitation to have received, a very humbling one. Um, but I, I always hesitate to call myself a writer sometimes because when you read really rich, deep, beautiful writing and it resonates with your soul, you're so moved by it, you're like, that person is a writer. You know, I feel like I'm a a purveyor of, you know, conversation sometimes. Okay, okay. But, uh, I mean, preachers are writers. We write sermons. I mean, a sermon is... There are many forms of writing. There are many, many forms. And my, uh, my undergraduate degree was in history and political science. And so I just spent week after week turning out papers. And, and so I've been writing... Most of my life. You didn't realize what all those poli-sci yes, history papers were going to produce I... <laughs> in the long haul, did you? No, it's so funny, but it's interesting. You hated it at the time. I did, and now I find myself loving that I got to do that. Uh, and so, uh, yes, I, I love to write. I love to sit down and think creatively about what you can do with a word and how you can move people to something through the written word. I yeah. think there's just great power in that and great purpose in that. So it's been a humbling experience and, uh, and exciting. It's how do you great. think you've grown or changed as a writer from when you started? Oh, I look at some of the stuff I wrote early on and I think, no, yeah, no, Yeah, that's that no. is every writer's cross. <laughs> I wish I could you go back at, and just pull yeah. all my books off the shelf. Yeah, you look at it and say, who wrote that anyway? <laughs> it's horrible. You know, I think that I didn't realize how... Um, my my understanding of the human experience has expanded as I've as I've aged, and as um, I have in my life friends from a wider circle of experiences and and um, and ethnic backgrounds and different conversations and different socioeconomic experiences. I didn't have as much of that earlier on. I think in my life, and so some of my writing is a, is a very narrow. Can, can feel very narrow to me as I read it back. And I have friends from different, you know, cultures, like even say to me, they're like, oh, come on. I can't believe you thought that, that this yeah. or that. And so um, I've learned a lot and I wish I could go back and reflect that in yeah. my writing in, in openness and a, um, a humility to different experiences that yeah. I don't think I already always had. But, yeah. you know. I wish there were a way around that, but it's impossible to extract ourselves from our own right. age and place yeah. and in our lifespans and yeah. we, we are who we are exactly at, at every point in time. Oh, right. Yeah. And yeah. then God brings these people in your life who wake you up to some realities that you need to be awoken to, but you know, you can't go back and, and wake your old self back yeah, up right. and change the <laughs> words in a book, you know, and you're like, Oh, it's still on Amazon, isn't it? So, wow. yeah. But, yeah, so what, I was, think it, what was your favorite book to write and maybe your most difficult book to write? Yeah. You know, I, 
my favorite book was uh, the True You book because I got to write that alongside Adele Calhoun, who is Who's kind of a um, rock star. She's just amazing. <laughs> and, um, we served together on staff alongside one another uh, many years ago now, and she very, very much for probably eight to nine years was a shepherd and a mentor and a coach to me and became a friend. And so to get to write that book with a woman mm. who um, shaped some of my formation um, really called me to so many um, important things in my life and then who also befriended me was just such a great gift. And so um, she lives in Boston. I'm in Chicago. We get to fly back and forth and just have a bottle of wine and write words together and, um, and wonder, you know, I mean, we wrote as much as we dreamed or cried or wondered. And it was, it's a book about women finding their voices. And so we got to, we got to work that out together too. So I just loved, I love doing stuff with her. <laughs> so that's your favorite. That was my favorite. Yeah. What was the hardest? Book I think the hardest one was that was my first book, green mama. Uh, cause it was convicting cause it was a book about why evangelicals need to care about the environment and so some of the things we needed to do to care, I wasn't yet doing. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, my, I, hate, I hate it when that yeah, happens. I know. I was like, darn it. I cannot write this unless I do it, you know. <laughs> and my husband was so funny. He's like, okay, what are we doing today? I'm like, well, we're building a compost pile out back tonight, <laughs> you know. So it, it changed how we lived um, and some of the practices we had and the habits we had. And yeah. that's not always fun, you know, but it was necessary. And I, I couldn't write it if I wasn't going to do it. So, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How did seminary affect you? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Now, I just had the occasion to uh, answer that because somebody, I can't remember what the context was. I was just asked that question recently. Um, I think seminary taught me how to think theologically. And it removed this bizarre notion I had that there was a right answer for all the matters of Christian faith, that there was going to be a right approach to the certain issues and topics of our time, and that I was going to go to seminary and I was going to get the answers yeah, to those the, things. Yeah, the bucket full of answers yes, and then to I was going everything. To teach them to everybody else, and, yeah. and, it, and God was going to be glorified, and it was going to be that easy. Yeah. And what I loved about my time at Denver, and I know it um, you know, happens in other places, obviously, too, is, is with grace, but with grit, you know, you guys here dismantle those notions in us that we can have, you know, a hold on the right answer and all this other stuff and, and teach us how to, I just felt like I was taught how to reframe and reshape the issues of our time and build a theological foundation under which to help make those decisions myself or help others find their way to answers or decisions on how to handle issues and topics, whether that's, I mean, if you think about it in, in a church, I mean, we get we get all the issues of the day come through our door. Mm -hmm. You know, there's violence, there's abuse, there's injustice, there's questions about human sexuality, there's, you know, questions about political parties, and 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 there's not always easy right answers on all those right, things. Right. And I keep coming back to what I learned at Denver to think, okay, how do you exegete this culture? How do you exegete scripture? How do you put all this together and help a person, a human being? find their way forward in things. I was a long answer to that question. Well, it's a, it's a great answer to it, Tracy, because I have uh, often thought that even, even when our faith is anchored on the pylons of historic orthodoxy, mm -hmm. uh, some things that are irreducible and immovable, on a, on a pretty routine basis, uh, 
the, the kind of questions that come our way in ministry are, are very ambiguous. I mean, when I was pastoring, you know, 20, 30 years ago, I can remember that it was a really good day when something would come across my plate that was a no-brainer. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, like a biblical, theological no-brainer. Here's yeah. the answer. Now, those, you know, those do happen, and those answers are there, but life is so tangled and so messy and so convoluted much of the time that you're dealing with with torturous ambiguities and still having to make decisions and to give counsel and give guidance that may not be right in a calculus sort of manner, but it can still be faithful. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And that, I mean, that's been a big learning curve for me is what's the difference between having the right answer and having a faithful answer when maybe a right answer doesn't even exist to some of this stuff. Yeah. But you can be faithful. Well, and, and how to admit that the the faithful answer is a process, you know, okay. I feel like, I feel like understandably so many people are in trauma and chaos yeah. and, they, and then they come and they pepper their, their pastors with questions and how do I decide this or what do I do? And, and, and the faithful response is often the response that leads them into the process of, of that. And, and that takes time yeah, and does. patience and grace and, um, and, and how to live in the tension of these things. And I felt like Denver really taught me the mm. art of living in that place. You know, I mean, these brilliant professors that have a lot of really right answers, but didn't hold that like it was something of a prize, but walked us into living in the tension mm. and, and the mysteries and all that other great stuff. Mm, good. So, good. Yeah. I'm glad, glad to hear that. A last of a, maybe a more serious question. I, I know you've you've written thought and spoken a lot on friendship, on worship arts, on creativity and liturgy. We, we could probably have a whole nother conversation on those things, but I'd love a few of your big thoughts on those things like, like worship and friendship and creativity. Yeah. Give us a few nuggets. Nuggets. Um, yeah. Worship, I think for me, um, trying to live on the front edge of whatever quote unquote modern worship is and pull rising generations into the faith is less about creating new flashy ideas and more about remembering the deep rooted historical traditions of the church and reshaping them for a new set of listeners and, and singers and everything else, you know, uh, in worship in modern worship right now, I feel like uh, it's like, let's just make stuff up, you know, let's just make up songs or, let's, okay. you know, and there's so much that's good and beautiful and rich and theologically sound that is historical and, and roots us. And I think modern worship has this deep desire to just pull everything up and like, okay, let's go into a warehouse and set up a bunch of chairs and give somebody with a goatee a guitar and just see what happens. But we do that unrooted sometimes and that's so dangerous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> always reinventing. Yes, and I think there's a danger in always. We have to reinvent, but we also have to reroot ourselves. Hmm. Uh, and so yeah, it's, well it's inventing on one end and rooting. And the deeper you go rooted, the more you can invent without injuring hmm you know, a congregation of people with some idea that yeah. you had, great as it may be, if it has no rooting or establishment in anything, it's not going to probably help as much. Yeah, and, and it won't have much of a shelf life. <laughs> no, no, exactly, yeah. exactly. So, What about um, friendship? Friendship, yeah. I just, um, I think one of God's great gifts to us is, is friendship and community. And I have felt so blessed in my life because I have had many great adventures in ministry 
with some of the best friends that I've ever had. And so for me, friendship has been this beautiful exercise of, of loving and listening, but also um, going on some sort of shared adventure together. All of my deep friendships have have had an adventure in them, something we're doing together. And I just, I love the process, whether it's a ministry or, or athletics or whatever it is. Um, I just think one of God's greatest gifts to us is friendship. I love the adventure piece of that. You remind me of a book um, by the Swiss physician from the 50s and 60s, Paul Tournier, yeah. who wrote this piece called Life, the Great Adventure. Mm-hmm. And, it was, and it was a very theologically oriented book. And really grabs your attention. Yeah. Life's a great adventure. Well, yeah. And, and friendship with, adv- I mean, to, to have a friend is a beautiful gift, but to have a, and hold a friendship with which you you live into a calling or you live into a mission oh, yeah. or something together is, is even a greater gift. So. Yeah. 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 Okay. So if you were doing anything else in life other than what you're doing, what it would be? What would it be? Um, that's a great question. I love, I love to. I love sports. I love to play. (laughs) (laughs) I love to run around. My kids are at great ages, and so they are hockey players and skiers and adventurers. And so if I don't do any of these things, I just like to sit around and listen to my kids. And they're, because they're teenagers now, they're funny and they're... (laughs) And they're, I don't know. I just, it's great when yeah, they get to that. I just want to hang out with my, I want to, it is a long time. I have friends that loved their toddler years and my toddlers were adorable, but wow, do I love them as teenagers. So you've, you've put in your time and I, now you're, yeah. And I've just, and they're enjoying funny. The fruit. And you just sit around the dinner table and I just, I don't want anybody to get up. They're like, Mom, we have to go do things. And I'm like, No, just stay here a little longer. <laughs> Keep talking to me. So, yeah, I just like to hang out. Yeah. Oh, that is hilarious. <laughs> All right. I'm curious, what have you picked up from your parents that you swore as a kid you would never do? <laughs> Ooh, that's good. How have you become your parents in ways you thought you never would? Oh, it's a small thing, but my mom, met, we would road trip everywhere as kids. My parents were like big national park junkies. We would drive in my dad's big old van across the country and camp and everything. And my mom would narrate like the entire trip. She would read books of information. She would make us listen. And I was like, if I ever have kids, I'm not going to read the national park map to them. <laughs> and we get in the car and I'm like, all right, everybody, take your earbuds out. Listen to this, you know, and it's a small, silly little thing. But like, I feel like I always have to narrate things for my kids. Yeah. And my mom, like, I don't know how many words she said. She just talked nonstop. And so, and now I feel like I do that to my own kids instead of letting them figure it out. So. Do they, do they know that, that you're replaying your, their They're grandmother? like, stop being Nana. <laughs> <laughs> you have a history undergrad, I history do. and poli sci. Yeah. So if you had been born in any other time period in history, if you could choose, what would it be? And Ooh. why? I... I've often wondered, maybe just because I have a small, to be clear, my my degree was actually in in U.S. history, so I'm picking just from U.S. I've always wanted to go back to the Revolutionary War, (laughs) and I've always wanted, I I, want to be a revolutionary, I guess, and so I've wondered what that was like, and it's interesting as a woman, right, because you mostly read the stories of the success stories of men at that time in history, and so what was it like to be female at that time in history and declare independence and build a country. And, and I have this audacious wonder is what, and not to 
know, you might have to edit this part out, but <laughs> how would women have built this country from its foundations different than uh, men? Uh. And so that's why that period intrigues me. Not that there were things we did wrong, there were things we did right, in, but I'm curious that if I could go back to that part of American history, what would women have done to create this country differently than, than men? It's just a curious question I've always wanted to answer. That's a really fascinating yeah. question. So I've always wanted to go back. and. When I think about having lived during those time periods, I just think about what it would be like to live with no heat other than fireplaces <laughs> and be really cold all the time. What's it like to live in New England yes. through a winter yes. with no heat no. except a fireplace? Yeah. Cause, but, you know, I'm pretty superficial like that. So <laughs> You're like, I just want to be warm. I just want to be warm, man. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, I want to know what we would have done in the Constitution yeah, how could I have women changed? wrote it. Yeah. <laughs> how could I have changed history and think, dude, how can I be warm when, yeah, when, yeah, uh, when I'm yeah. just snow all over the place all the time? Tracy, thanks. Yeah. This has been a treat. We're so glad that you're on our board. Thanks for your service. Yeah. Thanks for board. having me. Yeah. Tracy Bianchi. Uh, check her website out, tracybianchi.com. Uh, look into her books, Green Mama, um, Mom Connection, The True You, Women and Identity great stuff get these um this is don Payne, and i am really glad to be your host and on behalf of our entire production team who make this thing happen if uh, you hear something here that you like and we really hope you do then please give us a rating or a review on whatever your favorite podcast platform happens to be uh, with all of that said we hope you'll join us again next week this is engage 360 take care